Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under Networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Welcome, Pelicans fans, to The Bird Calls, the official podcast of SB Nation's TheBirdRights.com. It has been a bit longer than we expected uh, for us to get back and do this with the Memorial Day weekend going on and all those types of things. But we are back, and we have reached part six of our series on potential trade packages for Anthony Davis. We thought this was going to be the end, but there's been such great interest that we will have some wild cards coming up after this episode. So please don't think this is the end. And if you've missed any of our previous five episodes where we discussed the Raptors, Nets, Bulls, Nuggets, Lakers, and Knicks. Go and- I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Subscribe to The Bird Calls on anywhere where you listen to podcasts. We're there. And as it has been each and every time we've done this for all five, I am your host, David Grubb. And once again, I am joined by contributors Kevin Berrios and David Fisher and our editor-in-chief, Ali Cosell. Gentlemen, it's good to get back into this. Kevin, how's your weekend been? Uh, it's been pretty good. I've been working a lot, but today was, uh, I wish, I think my work schedule is why this one got pushed back. So you can just blame that one on me. But um, today I had off, we went to uh, a farm out in Mississippi that's owned by the people that own uh, Swiss Generis restaurant on Burgundy. And they had like a pig roast and uh, had some vegetables vegetable stir fry and cocktails and got we got to tour the farm they're working towards being a farm to table restaurant 100 percent um so it was really cool to go out there and do that so it was, it was a nice day kevin's in the lead right now ollie you got that beat he, now he wins because he went somewhere where somebody cooked i know fish and i we did a lot of cooking i had uh the guy i went to, uh if, if anybody knows i went to iceland and uh for one of my b- best friend's weddings. And so he came with his wife, a couple kids, a couple other couples showed up. So for a couple of days, man, I was just like cooking 
<laughs> you know, just doing the whole being a friendly host. But today was a relaxing day. But I can't top Kevin's. All right, Dave, what you got for me? My kids got a eight foot tall double slide blow up water slide thing in our backyard that we I have put up and put down for three consecutive days and around <laughs> that I'm in front of a grill. That's been it. <laughs> I think that's the new one. That's the new one. We did burgers on Saturday. Yeah. Sunday I think was steak and today was ribs. So and you didn't call. That's great. That's great. And I, I'm, I'm sure those folks have no care about anything that we just said. The only thing that happened to me this last week, um, you know, we've been celebrating my daughter and birthdays. She's about to turn 11 on Wednesday. So that's been me. And then, of course, I did um, contribute to um, another site that I will not say their name, but you can go on to Twitter <laughs> and you can find it. But I did contribute to some of this discussion about the Lakers and Anthony Davis and that has kind of taken off. There's still so tr- so much interest. It ain't just it ain't about me. It's it's people interested in AD. So now let's move on to the thing that people have been waiting for. The team that's been discussed for seems like as long as Anthony Davis has been in New Orleans, almost the Boston Celtics. I'm sure we all have our own ideas of what the Pelicans and Celtics should do. Um, no one gets more <laughs> from every angle, um, hits this from every angle, like Mr. Fisher. So Dave, I'm gonna let you bat lead off on this one and talk about the Celtics, what they have to offer and, uh, what you see the Pelicans, if they do make a deal with Danny Ainge and his team, what it looks like. Well, the first thing going back to what David Griffin had said, I think it was on, um, on NBA TV, maybe when he was discussing the Anthony Davis trade demand before he became the executive vice president, which is what he would be looking for in the return. And he had three major pieces on that. One, he wanted an all-star or potential all-NBA player. Two, an elite role player. And three, draft picks. The Celtics, of all the teams we've discussed, are the teams that most readily offer all three of those things. And it all starts with Jason Tatum. Um, there isn't a, I can't imagine that there is a deal that David Griffin is going to do with Danny age that does not include Jason Tatum. So that's, that's the starting point. Now Tatum did have a slightly off year. We've discussed this a little bit when we've discussed other trade partners. And I'd really like to bounce this off back to you guys because Tatum had a, a an off sophomore year compared to what everyone was projecting from his his rookie campaign, especially what he did in the playoffs at the end of the season last year, right about this time against the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James. Um, But it it has to start with Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum would immediately be, what, the second best wing that's ever suited up in New Orleans after Jamal Mashburn. So I, I, for me personally, I cannot imagine that the Pelicans are going to do this trade unless Jason Tatum is included. What do you guys think? Ollie? Yeah, I mean, that, that that's definitely the starting point. Um, I know that we're conducting an SB Nation mock draft like we do every year. So everybody behind the scenes is working with one another and doing this draft. But in addition to doing the draft and making all the selections on behalf of the site you represent, the team, uh, we're also allowed to do trades. Well, 
obviously right off the bat, the guy that's in charge of the uh, Boston Celtics blog approached uh, Dave and I about doing a deal for Anthony Davis. Well, he seems to think that the deal should start not with not including Jason Tatum, but we kind of shot that down immediately. So I'm with Fish 100%. I mean, there's going to be a lot of offers out there. We know what kind of the deal should look like. So being, you know, picky, I mean, it doesn't make any sense on his behalf or the Celtics. You look at their position now, and I think that's the biggest thing, is a year ago they were flying high. Everybody felt like, wow, I wouldn't even trade Jason Tatum one-on-one. I wouldn't even trade Jalen Brown, Bill Simmons was saying, for AD. Well, now, just a year later, I think Danny Ainge is going to be willing to give up the farm. And I know that all of us have either heard it or said it at one time or another, but the Celtics had a down year. Um, It did not work. The fit with all the group of guys they have on that team did not work. So they're going to have to make a lot of changes. And of course, you know, they may potentially lose Kyrie Irving. So they cannot, I feel like, move up in the Eastern Conference by losing a superstar and I think you can you can almost call Kyrie that, or we'll just stick with like one of the better best players in the league. And so if you lose him and you don't get anything in return, I mean they're going to be taking a huge step backwards. So they have to go in on all in on Anthony Davis, and I think it does begin with Tatum. Uh, but of course, there's other assets too. For me, I think that they David Griffin needs to look to get three of these, or excuse me, two of these other three assets back along with Tatum, and that's Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart, or that Memphis first-round pick. At least two of those three things also have to be included with Tatum. I think, Ali, you make a great point about Boston. Boston's position is so much different than a lot of the teams that we discussed, particularly in the Eastern Conference. Because you look right now, Toronto's going to the NBA Finals, which clearly is going to have some impact on uh, Kawhi Leonard's um, decision-making. After this season, if they win a championship, does Kyrie, I mean, does Kawhi bolt? That's, that's a big thing. So even uh, so that if he stays, Toronto is still the clear favorite in the East, you would guess coming back off of finals or off a championship. Then you have Milwaukee, which should get better. Um, This was their first run deep into the playoffs. So Milwaukee should get better. Philadelphia is still a top four team out there. And then we have yet to see what the rest of the East is going to do. If the Knicks make a big splash and land Kevin Durant, if Chicago finds something to add to their young core, blah, 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 blah. So the Celtics, like you said, cannot afford to tread water here. They've got to, even with all those assets, Danny Ainge has compiled. At some point, he has to do do something with them. And it seems that that point is now. Kevin? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, also, when you're talking about uh, Philly and Milwaukee, they also have a lot of questions on their roster because a lot of key components on those teams are going to be free agents coming up. Um, and just like you said, you know, uh, Boston's been acquiring all these assets to make a move to get someone. And now it's either they, they let Kyrie walk and then they have to use these assets to rebuild themselves from scratch, which would be, I think, a hard sell or to really make that splash and try to get that free agent that's already under contract from somewhere else and then create some cap space for themselves to add another guy or perhaps just build around that star with the other pieces that are remaining there. Um, so I think they have a lot of pressure to make, make a big move. And so I think whether, I mean, we've discussed this already, whether Kyrie leaves or not, I still think, you know, they're very much under the gun to make this trade for Anthony Davis. 
Yeah, and especially like with Boston, we're also considering the fact that Al Horford has a player option. He can decline and move on if he wants to, and I'm sure there will be teams interested in his services. You have a couple other players. Boston has a few restricted free agents, things like that. So their roster is also kind of in flux, and so they do need that second. The one thing that they don't have is a second superstar. The team approach clearly doesn't work with having guys, especially when they're backloaded, in their at the small forward position, at the two guard position, they have just that's the bulk of their talent is in those spots. So they have to free up that log jam. And the the difficult part for me with the Celtics is the money, because it takes so much money because they have so many young players, and the players who make more money are the ones who are RFAs or um, you know are just not attractive. So I think that the the money that the Celtics have. Um, invested in the players um, along with the picks that the Pelicans want making that match is going to seem to people looking at this is that Boston has to give up a whole lot personnel wise but they're really not going to be giving up a whole lot individually financially Dave does, does do you think that that, that uh, the financial part of this has a, a big impact on what those assets are going to look like coming back I don't think so. This, the simplest two-team trade that you're looking at money-wise that includes Tatum would be Tatum, Smart, and Yabu. That's, and so two rotation players for one. That's exactly what I got. <laughs> um, so, I mean, if, if you want to cut it down to the simplest trade, they either have that option, Tatum, Smart, and Yabu, or I think maybe, um, what's his face, Time Lord. Uh, Robert Williams the third, he might make enough um, next year when the clock rolls over that he would work in that money slot as well. So, I mean, you're looking at two rotation players, so it doesn't sound like a lot, and then there's the draft picks behind it. Now, <clears throat> if it's not that trade, the other easy trade in my mind that they would make is Tatum and Hayward and then just load it down with picks outside of that. But the only way the Pelicans would do that is if Hayward's going someplace else. So you right. have to find someplace else that wants to absorb that big salary hit. I know Charlie on our site, um, he talked about this long ago. It's still my favorite scenario where you get Tatum from Boston, you route Hayward to Indiana, and I think that's m more realistic I know that the our as as fans, our most recent memory of Hayward is the fact that he kind of struggled mightily in the Milwaukee series. But if you're trading to him to Indiana, you have to remember that Indiana's front office's last eyewitness of Gordon Hayward was looking like he was going through a renaissance in the first in the first round of the playoffs. And there's something weird about well, it's not weird. It's, it's a standard bias that somebody has that they value the evidence that they've seen with their own eyes in person than what they've seen on the tape or what they've seen in the analytics or whatever. And then Hayward also has that, you know, Indiana guy coming home for them since he went to Butler. And, I mean, that's already working out for them pretty well when you're talking about, I mean, Oladipo's from Indiana as well. And he's their star. Obviously, he's coming off of his knee injury. <laughs> but if you're looking at Indiana, the biggest problem with a Boston-Indiana swap would be, would Boston be willing to move 
a player that might be on the upswing in Hayward to a potential conference rival? And would they want to play ball? If you could, and if Indiana was willing to let a lot of their free agents walk to create that space, then you ask Indiana for one of the, their big men. Um, we've already discussed this before. Um, Miles Turner would be my ideal fit besides Zion Williams, Zion Williamson. Or Sabonis isn't necessarily quite the fit because you're always trying to look for shooting around Williamson. But if you have somebody that can set screens, move the ball, is smart, is a heady defender, willing to rebound, either of those guys would be it. So th- that's the two money ways that I see it most reasonably occurring. Either smart Tatum in, you know, a third guy, Yabu or Williams, or Tatum and Hayward, and Hayward's routed someplace else that wants to eat that $30 million hit. Now, I was going to say, do uh, you want me to go into my trade? Because th- this segues perfectly into my trade, because I did a three-team trade with the Pacers. Um, okay, that- yeah, yeah. Let's let's go into the three-team, and then I'm, I'm Ali and I, I'm, I'm going to hit on Tatum for a second after we do that. But, Kevin, go ahead and do your okay, three-team. Okay, so, since that's so mine say. is a three-team trade with the, with the Pacers uh, and Celtics. And then, so, of course, now my dog's chiming in. What so, the people have asked for more dog. They're um, getting more dog. <laughs> All right. So Celtics get Anthony Davis, of course, but they also get Doug McDermott. And then the Pacers uh, would get Etwan Moore, Gordon Hayward, Marcus Smart, and then the 22nd pick in the 2019 draft. And then for the Pelicans, they get Miles Turner, Jason Tatum, Aaron Holiday, uh, the 14 pick in this draft, and then the Memphis pick. So for all the reasons David just said, you know, Gordon Hayward is a guy that when healthy uh, is a very good player. He's a guy that Indiana wanted uh, in free agency when he was a free agent. Indiana is a place that has a lot of trouble getting free agents. So getting one locked up in there and again, like a homegrown talent makes some sense. Uh, They have really like another grace year for him to get himself ready with Oladipo's injury as he's going to be coming back from that. Um, they eat a lot of salary this year, but uh, Hayward would only be on the books for two more years. Etwan would be an expiring. Uh, they have Smart locked up in a good contract, which, again, pairing Oladipo and Smart together in a backcourt would be phenomenal defensively. Um, they get a first-round pick for taking on Hayward's salary. And, uh, you know, Etwan Moore, they could leave him out of the deal if they don't want to take on that money, but I just thought he would be a nice stopgap shooting guard for them as uh, Oladipo comes back and adds some shooting to a roster that does need more shooting. And then it clears up the front court. They could re they could resign Thad young uh, pair him uh, with Sabonis long-term, whatever that they could have that set um, for the Celtics. They get off that Hayward contract, free up some more money to chase another free agent to pair with Anthony Davis. Doug McDermott is just like a shitty version of Gordon Hayward um, that he can be a rotation guy. <laughs> For, for, uh, don't for hold back, team. Kev. Don't hold back, buddy. Yeah, I mean, he's not a, not a guy that you like are that into, but he's serviceable. You can play him, you know. And then, you know, a front court of Anthony Davis, Al Horford, Doug McDermott, and then your back court, they still keep Jalen Brown. They could resign Terry Rozier. You know, they have Robert Williams. They have Simi. They have all those guys they can keep um, and then maybe add in, um, you know, another free agent. And then for the Pelicans, 
you get Miles Turner, who's a very good shot blocker. He's a he's a good on ball defender for a big man, and then he can stretch the floor and play that outside role to let Zion thrive. Then of course we all know about Jason Tatum. And then it was said that last trade deadline that the Pacers were considering trading Aaron Holiday anyway, so maybe it's not a stretch that they would give him up. Um, but you know he potentially could be the long term answer at point guard. You at least get a young point guard prospect to check out, and it's sort of throwing a bone to Drew Holiday for go for dealing with all that he's had to deal with, uh, you know, in prior seasons and especially this season, and maybe facing a little bit of a rebuild. Although, if you make this trade, I don't really think you're rebuilding. I think you're reloading and restocking because you know Turner's a legit starting big man. Zion is you know one of the top prospects out there and then you know we know what Tatum is and then you have that young point guard and then you have a second draft pick in this draft and then you have the Memphis pick next year plus your own pick so you have a lot of chances to do something really well and get off the ground really quickly um so yeah that's my pitch for that trade I don't know if you guys want to um pick it apart or have concerns yeah Yeah, I just want to point out before we do that yeah if you look the one big thing that that could make this attractive to Indiana is let's remember this too. Tyreek Evans gone. So there's no chance he's coming back because he's been suspended indefinitely for the league. Um, and then you're looking at the rest of their um, small forwards uh, or shooting guards and it's guys who are relatively small. They don't have length at those positions or great shooters. So when you look at a guy like you have Bojan Bogdanovic, who is a good player, but peak um, you would say the peak, uh, excuse me, uh, Gordon Hayward, if, you, if he gets back to his old form, that he and, and Bogdanovich would make a really interesting combination where Hayward is probably a little bit more uh, quick twitch and Bogdanovich is a little stronger, um, but they could be an interesting tandem back there. So I think that does make it attractive. Ali, um, what do you think of Kevin's proposition there? I think the only way Boston agrees to it is if they pretty much know that not only course they're trading for Anthony Davis but that probably Kyrie they can get him to resign and they can bring in like Kevin Durant I mean I can't see them giving up all those pieces I mean when you're losing smart I mean it's one thing just to lose Tatum right but then you're trading away what was it Kevin who what does Indiana get they get smart and who else they get smart and Hayward that's it and we get Hayward that's right okay and then you gave them a pick too right yeah they get the 22nd pick in this draft yeah, so I don't think that they would be, first of all, needing to attach a pick, or at least in their minds, they don't probably think they would have to attach one to Gordon because the full expectation is, and I'm sure they'll talk it up, we'll start seeing videos of how Gordon Hayward's looking better this summer, but I don't think they feel the need to get out from underneath that contract. Uh, like I said, unless they feel like they're going to be able to sign some kind of big-time free agent like Durant, which we've kind of heard on and off, even before this Last season, I think there was Danny Ainge had some interesting trading for Durant back when he was considering on leaving OKC. So I like the deal personally. I think all three teams, it could work out for all three of them. But I think the biggest stumbling block, of course, is going to be Boston. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, I think that giving up the 22nd pick and what is pretty much thought of to be a very weak draft is that much to give up for dumping $31.2 million worth of salary. That you know, you but had Kevin, they, would they need to dump it if they can't sign another free agent? They don't necessarily need to, but it didn't seem like 
I mean, it seemed like they had a lot of chemistry issues. And so unloading guys with chemistry problems and kind of starting over from scratch has a benefit also. Fish, what, what do you think? think? Um, I, I think maybe Smart's inclusion is a little overkill. Yeah. Where I would go with it. Um, because I don't, I don't think he needs to be in it to make any of the money work. Um, so I do like there's if Boston's making this trade, they're making the trade at the draft, and they're making the trade with the expectation that we've been told through back channels or by Kyrie's agent or whatever that if we bring in AD, he's going to resign if. I don't know if AD agrees to opt into his player option here. So he's going to give us two years. In a situation like that, Boston wants to have the depth to say we're making a championship run this year. Mm -hmm. And if you tell them, hey, you're going to roll out a lineup of Irving, Smart, Brown, Davis, Horford, and then – Brad Stevens is supposedly the second coming, so he can figure out the rest. <clears throat> that That's a better situation than what they had, where they had too many mouths to feed this, this season, which is the genesis of a lot of their chemistry issues, is the fact that a whole bunch of people who were very young in their career got to step up to another level, did so extremely successfully, and then Kyrie came back, Hayward came back, and it was like, all right, now just be a role player again. That's a lot to ask of a young NBA player who's playing for that second contract and he sees the window that's about to open. And that's not, to me, that's not that the guy's being selfish. Well, he's not being overly selfish. You expect an NBA superstar, and well, not even an NBA superstar. You expect somebody who's good enough at basketball to be in the NBA, to be a first-round pick, to be looking at that second contract, to be selfish enough to think to think about it. Is what it is what it really boils down to. Because with the only guys that you really get that are, hey, I'm going to buy into my role and I'm just going to do what you what coach and what the team needs me to do are vets who are just chasing that ring or guys who are just hanging on to the NBA by a thread. Everybody else is playing for something else beyond this season. The only guys that you can ask for a 100% buy-in are, you can ask for a 100% buy-in from your superstar, your alpha of the team. You can ask for a 100% buy-in for the guys who are just chasing the ring so they just signed for a minimum contract when they could have signed for like the full mid-level for a bad team and you can ask for that full buy-in from you know the vet at the end of the bench who he's just hanging on to the nba by this thread and if he can just box somebody out somebody's going to hopefully see it on the film and he's going to get another contract let me so, it, go ahead okay i was just thinking if, if to look at this from the boss perspective and i'm before any machinations i just want i'm just trying to look at it from the end result so let's say if you're boston and you've got at point, you've got Kyrie. At the two, you've got Jalen Brown. At the three, you've got Gordon Hayward. At the four, you've got Anthony Davis. And at the five, you figure out how to get Al Horford. You've got a great team right there in your starting lineup. 
The rest is filling out the edges. So I don't think Boston has to give up Hayward to get what they want because they were willing to make that investment in him, that $32 million. And if you look at Hayward's numbers, I mean, just, let's just go through it real quick. He only played 26 minutes a game last season. He only took nine shots a game for the Celtics, which, again, shows that they had just too many guys they had to try to work in. He still shot the ball 46%. And that's after, what, the first month, two months of the season where he was shooting god-awful basketball. So he, he was, was got himself up to 46%, and he still shot 33% from three-point range, only taking threes, threes a game. His effective field goal percentage was still 527, um, and his free throw percentage is 83%. So, and he was still putting up basically the same rebound and assist numbers and playing, you know, like I said, uh, nine minutes fewer than what he was averaging with when he was with Utah. So it's not unreasonable for Boston to make the evaluation and say, we think Hayward, while he might, might not be a 21, 22-point game score for Boston, um, but at 18 or 19 um, with – four assists and five boards. He's, he's worth it on a team that's with that roster. Would you think? I think so, because I think, look, I think it's very comparable with Gordon Hayward suffers kind of the leeway we have to give, or we gave Paul George. You guys remember he came back probably like six games in the year that, uh, that preceding summer where he got hurt. And he looked terrible, of course. And then I thought he kind of had a rough year the following year. He wasn't the Paul George we see now. His numbers were a little bit down. And um, at least Paul George, though, didn't have to share the ball with anybody in India. Gordon Hayward was asked to share with a million people. Then he was his role was shifted to come off the bench. So I absolutely agree with you, David, that I don't think they have to move. And that's why, I mean, Kevin, I think that's a good idea if they do want to move from him. But I just don't think they will simply because I think they know that how much time you got to give a player. And this is not something that should change his career, a broken leg. You know what I mean? So it's, mm-hmm. it's really just a confidence issue getting his feel back, stuff like that. So I agree with uh, grub and that I think they'll try and keep them. Uh, but you know, who's to say, I think everything's going to come down to AD for him. I think that's what's so important, right? You got to have to entertain or keep some chips, um, and so Hayward, to me, is honestly maybe something Ainge has to keep. Because, if look, if you just tell Kyrie, okay, it's AD or bust, chances are Kyrie's going to be walking out that door or at least talking to people and think people are going to be in his ear. Instead, Ainge has to tell him, look, you're going to have a complete team around you, but we're going to have a more defined roles. Gordon Hayward's going to bounce back to be what he was before his injury. I'm going to get Anthony Davis. So I just feel like Hayward is still pivotal to their, um, you know, their future. So that's the way I'm looking at it. Now, Ali, one of the things that we've talked about a lot is um, Jason Tatum as the centerpiece of this. Um, and, and all three of you guys will contribute to this, of course. But I want to start with Ali because we've had this conversation plenty of times. Tatum, his upside, and then Tatum, your concerns as the centerpiece of a trade. Because like we said, this is the guy who's supposed to be the all-star. So what did you see this year that you liked in year two? Um, I, I, however many times you got to observe him, and what are the things that concern you? Right. With Jason Tatum, I love that this guy can make a basket from anywhere, and he shoots at a really, you know, an efficient level. I mean, you would want to see his two-point percentage be over 50%, and you'd want him to get to the free throw line more. But overall, I'm not going to complain too much about his game. He's a score flat out, and he's been one ever since he even came to Duke. And... 
you know, he just finished his age 20 season to where it's a down year, but he still shot, you know, over 37% from three. He's still grabbing seven rebounds a game. You know, he's, he's putting up some defensive numbers. No, the biggest worries about him to me are his frame. Cause when you watch him play defensively, boy, I felt like that the Milwaukee Bucks literally did anything they wanted when it was, when they were out in transition. And a lot of times at fault was Tatum and trying to get back. And it wasn't just Giannis taking advantage of him. I saw Eric Bledsoe bully him down uh, through the paint to get to the rim and Tatum offered really no resistance. So defensively, I have concern. And also I would like to see maybe a little bit more playmaking out of a guy who's, you know, Kobe Bryant thinks is going to be not following in his footsteps, but he could be kind of that dynamic player, especially offensively. I didn't really see that from him this year, but you have to, and I think look past all this, simply because of that position he was in, he truly, I felt like, exuded better than any of them over there, uh, team-first mentality. When Kyrie was calling people out, uh, when Jalen Brown was getting into arguments, going over the bench with whoever it was jumping all over him, whether it was Marcus Morris, Tatum seemed to be the only guy that was above it, that he didn't seem to really get phased by it. So I like that. I like that not only he avoided those confrontations, but I feel like he just knows that, you know, better things are in store for him. This was just something that, you know, he had to deal with. Right. I like so I like his approach. So I really think that you clear all that kind of mess out. You give him a clear, defined role. We're going to see him get back on kind of that schedule, that uh, ladder or whatever you want to call it, of his development that he should have been on for this season, this past season. But we'll see it once he gets to a team like the Pelicans, where you've got a guy like Drew Holiday who's willing to pass it to him. We know Zion can score, but also I think Zion's a very underrated passer and can play within a team concept very well. So I think Tatum would fit perfectly here. So there are some weaknesses, like I mentioned, the biggest ones defensively. He's got to get stronger. He's got to get bigger, and I feel like he's got to get meaner. He shows it offensively. I mean, we all remember that dunk he had on LeBron James where I think he scored five points. He had that dunk in a three, which put up the Boston Celtics up momentarily with around six minutes to go in game seven. And everybody's thinking, oh, my God, Boston's going to advance to the finals. But, of course, we know what happened there. But Tatum's got it in him. I just want to see more of it. And like I said, he's just got to get more physical, bigger, stronger, and just play a more well-rounded game. And if he can do that, then, then he could become that star. So I'm still really high on the kid. I really am. The, to me, the, the weight issue is one of age because he's 6'8", uh, roughly 210. So I think, you know, again, we all got big, get bigger once we, we grow a bit, and I think that will help. Um, and then also, I think offensively in the Pelican system, the big difference between that and what you have at Boston is that the ball doesn't stop. And I think Tatum gets himself in trouble um, when he has to make a lot of decisions. And that's something that we used to say about Drew, is that when he fought the game too much, you could see it. And I think that's the same thing with Tatum. He's, is there are times, because of the way the ball moved in Boston and the way it stopped moving in Boston, that guys felt like when the ball came to them, they had to create their own offense because the ball was not coming back. And so I think that's a big change that he would experience in the, in the New Orleans offense. There would be a lot like that playoff run There'd be more opportunities in transition for him to get to the rim. There'd be more opportunities for him to get catch and shoot um, um, opportunities that are, you know, unguarded. Um, and I just think he would. Ha- he, there's a lot of opportunity for him for, to flourish. Kevin, um, what do you like about Tatum and his game? Yeah, I think it's 
an interesting thing about Tatum is always the comparison to Kobe and sort of the mentorship of Kobe that exists with him. When you look at a guy who played 30 minutes last year and only took nine shots per game, um, you know, as you guys said, it's him trying to fit into a system. And is that holding him back? Is that holding every aspect of his game back? Because when you sort of suppress what you truly are, then everything else uh, sort of falters as well. So I'm interested to see what will happen when he's allowed to take 15 to 20 shots a game, which he would be in New Orleans easily um, as either the top scoring option if or, you know, second. Um, so I think that would be that's going to be an interesting thing because I think he has all the tools to be a really good offensive player. Um, you know, he can, as you said, he can shoot from all over. He does sometimes seem to fall in love with the mid-range, which um, – has become a dirty word in the NBA these days. But um, if you're good from the mid-range and you're taking the open shot, then it's a good shot, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, I guess you would like to see him take a little bit more from three than he does from two um, and then attack the rim more. Like you said, he has those great dunks that we've seen. He has the ability to do that, but sometimes shies away from it. But I think some of his mentality gets neutered because of the situation he was in. And I don't think that will be a problem here. Um, but yeah, I'm, I think I'm very high on Tatum despite, you know, what you could say was a down year for him last year. Although, you know, it was still good in comparison to most second year players. You just have really high expectations because of what he did the previous season in the playoffs, um, you know, bringing this team to the Eastern conference finals kind of on his back. Um, because all the injuries that Boston was su- had suffered. Um, yeah, and then, of course, defense is something that you always concern yourself with. But then again, you're talking about he would be plugged into a role where we were relying on Etwan Moore to defend bigger guys. So it's already going to be a step up just because of his frame. Um, and I think, like I said, when you're – so trying to suppress what you truly are because you're trying to fit into the system and not rock a boat. Um, it suppresses everything else and makes everything else falter and has you overthinking. Whereas if he's touching the ball and happy with his role in the offense, I think his defense will step, will take a step further. And then also, of course, you know, probably the defense will be tailored more to fit his needs in, in the system as him being, sort of a foundational piece on this roster, knowing that he's a foundational piece on this roster, sort of build it around what he and Zion and Drew Holiday can do, because those are your three fixtures that we would know after this trade for sure. Um, So I wouldn't be overly concerned with that. Um, And then again, he's only like in his early 20, what is he, 20 or 21? 20, I think, right? 20, yeah. Yeah. So... You know, there's always room for him to improve on that side of the ball, you know. So I, I'm still extremely high on him, and I'm sure you all are too. Dave, one of the things that I really that of course we noticed about Tatum is that um out of the players who were speculated to be involved in an Anthony Davis trade, he was one of those guys who well, maybe the only guy who came out and said, Hey, I don't mind being moved somewhere and having it become my team. I, I, I would embrace that. If they want to move me, I'm cool with it. I trade me for Anthony Davis too. Is that a good mentality? Is that exciting? Because I think it is. I think a guy who's willing to embrace that at age 20, who's also played in five playoff series, 
um, at this point in his career. I think that makes him a little bit more interesting because of that desire to take the next step in his career. Absolutely. Uh, Not only that fact that Jason Tatum, after the trade rumors started swirling, some of the teams fell apart. Some of the players started to fall apart their game. Tatum, actually, if I remember correctly, his performance improved the next couple weeks after the trade. And my thing with Tatum is he wants to be that alpha, and he knows he's not going to get it there in Boston as long as Kyrie Irving's there because he's not going to be the one that, hey, we're going to roll the ball out to you. There's 15 seconds left on the clock. Go get us a bucket. If he's in New Orleans, even with Zion, even with um, Drew Holiday, when Alvin Gentry wants a bucket, he's going to go to Jason Tatum. Like, that's going to be his number one option. Jason Tatum is going to be the, the, the alpha. He's going to be the leading scorer mentally. It's going to fulfill his needs in that way. And a lot of the things we were talking about, he, he does have, you know, some work to do in terms of getting a little bigger, a little – not even like – he needs to weigh more. He just needs to be stronger, but he's 20 years old. Of course he's not grown man strong. He's only tw- He just turned 21 85 days ago. So that doesn't bother me. The, the other parts of his defense, I think, get better if he knows he's going to get his shot. I think his shot selection gets better if he knows he's going to get his shots because now it's not, oh, I finally got to touch the ball. I'm going to hoist up this 18-footer with a hand in my face because I finally got to shoot. He knows the ball's going to come. He knows that he's going to have his shots fed to him. He knows that he's, he's the number one option here. So he doesn't have to hunt for a shot. He can look for the good shots. And that's something that, for all of the criticism that we have heaped upon Alvin Gentry and his coaching staff, one thing that we can say is in the overall general sense, that offense does create and seek to create open shots and good shots for the players. I was looking at Tatum's um, shooting marks. The biggest thing that brought down his three-point shooting this year was the fact that he started taking a whole bunch more three-point shots off the dribble. I don't know if that's going to be a shot that you're going to ask him to take a whole lot of. It's nice to see that he's willing to take it because one of the things that's going to project forward his shooting is actually his frequency and ability to get the shot off. But he still shot almost 40% on catch and shoot threes. Last season, as a rookie, he shot 48%. He's a 40% three-point shooter now over the course of two NBA seasons. We know he can space the floor. We know he has prototypical small forward size and if you give him the thing that he wants which is he wants to be the man he's still not going to be the face that's either going to be drew or zion but i don't think he seems to be in the kobe sense he seems to be so singularly mindset on just the court and basketball that as long as he understands that the offense is flowing through him and he's the fulcrum he's the focal point the rest of the marketing and stuff like that is just like whatever to him. He wants his shots, and if you get him his shots and he knows the shots are coming, you can hone that shot selection and you can improve his efficiency. He's already got as many commercials as Anthony Davis, at least at least <laughs> nationally. He does. I mean, <laughs> at least, right? Am, am I no, lying? Nobody's arguing with you on that, no. 
<laughs> so he's yeah. he's already relatively famous. And then you look at it, he's got the things as far as like you talked about the off the courts. Let's if we talk about the off court stuff, he's got all the things you want in that, you know, he's a relatively photogenic guy. He looks the part of a star. And then, like you said, you have these other guys in Zion and Drew, Drew, the quiet leader type, Zion, the explosive guy. And then you have Tatum, the multi-skilled guy. Yeah, you have that three-headed monster that you could market very easily, that people could, that you give them a little bit of any type of basketball fan is getting something that they love out of one of those three guys. Ali, let's go to your trade. Well, huh? I think yeah. we, are, we all kind of agree. And I, I, what David said initially about the easiest, simplest trade, that was actually my trade where I uh, got the Pelicans receiving in return Tatum, uh, Smart, Yabuselli and two future round picks, a 2020 Memphis pick, and then one of the three first-round picks that the Boston Celtics are going to have this year. You know, take your pick. I think they've got, like, the 14th, which is Sacramento's, their own, which is the 20th or the 22nd, and the other one is from another team as well. So basically two picks. But what I want to ask you guys and talk about is, and I think it's important to touch on for everybody out there, is do you think Tatum's stock took a hit? Now, we know what was said about him during this, this season, and we saw it with our own eyes, you know, the inconsistencies. But then in the playoffs, if you guys, I'm sure you all remember, but for the audience, he was great against the Indiana Pacers. I mean, he was making every shot. And then against the Milwaukee Bucks, it was just the opposite. He couldn't hit anything. He shot like 10% from three-point range, 34% overall, averaged like 12 points a game. As to where it was like 20%, 50%, and 54% from three against the Pacers. So, and it's not just the numbers. I've been reading while you guys have been talking, but there's been scouts that have said this stock did take a hit. So, how much does that factor into the thinking of David Griffin and Danny Angel when they sit down? I would think the front office is still having him high because he's only 20. And I think most GMs. Um, front office people are taking the long pr- approach with some of these guys because you have to. I mean, again, you talk about his role in Boston, the inconsistency of that over two seasons. Um, you talk just about, again, it takes people time to figure it out. So I, I don't think his values decreased um, league-wide, and I don't think among front office people it's decreased that much because they can see that he's scratched the surface. Like Dave said, he's still shooting f- over 40% on threes over two seasons, and his numbers, even though they took a slight dip, there's he's he was actually scoring more this season than he did last season. He turned the ball over slightly less this season than he did last season. So, I mean, it seems like there are areas where he could still – there's still a leap there for him to make in year three. You know, even if it's four points a game, five points a game, if he gets himself up to 22, 20, uh, 22 points a game and seven boards, you, you, you're killing for that at the small forward position if you're the Pelicans. Kevin? Yeah, no, I agree. I don't I don't think he, he took a hit. I mean, like you said, I think everybody understands the situation he was in. I think everybody understands his age. I think we're expect immediate gratification from these guys right away and you can't get that. And he gave and what he gave us in year one was so remarkable that it just makes it harder for him to live up to that in year two. And then there's always when you look at the playoffs, like you said, he killed it against Indiana, and then he had a miserable outing against Milwaukee. And sometimes that's just matchups, and that sometimes uh, will happen, you know. Uh, so I don't, I don't think that's a thing that's concerning. I don't think that 
Boston suddenly feels like they have to get rid of him or they have to give up a bunch extra to get rid of him to get Anthony Davis. And I don't think the Pelicans feel like the product that they're getting is lesser than what it was before the season started. Um, so, I, I, you know, those things happen. It's basketball. Matchups happen. Um, fits happen. But you see the tools that he has and the size that he has and the potential that he has. And I don't think any of that is tarnished at all. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you guys, but I'm telling you, I, I just read Eastern Conference Scout Express, Tatum stock took a hit, and there were others that said similar things over the course of the season. So let me change it up for you, Fish, to answer uh, a slightly different question. Do you think this maybe makes it easier for Danny Ainge to move him? Because it sure seemed like had he tried to move him last year coming off that you know season and postseason off his rookie year, that maybe somebody or maybe half the city would have, you know, revolted. Maybe people be flipping cars or setting stuff on fire, you know, but now it almost makes it easier because of all the disappointment. He did take kind of a step back. I mean, it's not really a step back in a lot of our eyes, but you know what I mean. But so do you think maybe that's actually a benefit to Danny Ainge? It is. It's a benefit to Danny Ainge because the failure of this year can be seen as a, re- a rationalization for being more aggressive with an Anthony Davis trade. And even if you read any Celtics place, most of the writers there are saying it's going to cost us Jason Tatum. Like they've been laying the groundwork for David Griffin now for five or six months that it's going to cost Jason Tatum. That's what it's going to cost. And it makes sense for it to cost them that if you move enough other young guys in the trade for them, and not a lot, but, you know, if you move Tatum and Smart and, you know, one other guy and one of their picks this year, that is going to open things up so that it can be the Kyrie and Anthony Davis show and everybody else just needs to work around that orbit and you can sell it to them as we have a legitimate second superstar now and we're ready we're ready right now the window is now we collected all these assets now to win now and even with toronto's performance in the playoffs up to this point toronto will have some questions cap questions and things like that and there's always the there's always the situation where no matter no amount of success was going to change the fact that Kawhi Leonard hates snow. Like that might be it for him. He might just want to live on the beach. We we yeah. try to we try to always focus this on a player's decision has to be for the best situation to win right now. And we forget that they're a whole human being. Maybe he wants to live close to home. Yeah, he's a millionaire and he can fly and he can fly his family here and there. Maybe living in home is something that matters to him, which is why LA has always been at the top of his list. Not necessarily the Lakers, but the Clippers as well. And if if Kawhi does move or, you know, look at the Toronto roster, there's a lot of old guys on that roster. There's the potential that Lowry takes a substantial step back. I mean, he's well past the expected expiration date for point guards. Mark Especially Gasol point guards built like him. Exactly. Especially super short point guards, right? Mark Gasol, you know, his cost-to-value equation could change dramatically, especially at his size. He's one injury away. I mean, I mean, we saw that in the Western Conference where it felt like that Kevin Durant injury was going to open things up. 
you don't want to be the team that decided to sit on all your chips and maybe hang another banner if you're that close, if you're right on the precipice of this and say, no, we didn't cash them in. And then something else happens in the East and they're looking out at it and they, and they tell themselves, well, the stuff we kept isn't going to win us a championship right now. But if we would have sold it and got AD, we would be the hands down favorites to win it right now. Yeah, because you'd have. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I mean, that, that's that's my thought on on the Celtics' approach to it. Is Danny Ainge has won one championship there since he's been running things in 2008, and he's been collecting assets and collecting assets and collecting assets. And at some point, I think the Boston Celtics fans, if he gets them back to the finals, it was worth it. And I think if they say, we're just going to keep the young guys and we're going to roll it back, then Kyrie's going to walk because he's looking at those guys and saying, they're not ready and I'm not ready to spread the shots around. And then they're still capped out. Like they don't have substantial cap space, even if Kyrie walks. Unless they're saying goodbye to a lot of people in addition to that. And then they have a depth issue. So, no, they the... Tatum's slight decline and some of Boston Celtics, hey, he didn't show up like we expected him to, makes it easier for Danny Ainge to sell it. But Danny Ainge has been building up to this point. For the, I mean, since the Brooklyn trade, he's been building to this point. Now it's time. Now Anthony Davis is the guy that he's wanted. I mean, all these leaks have came from the Celtics front office. All of the reports we've dealt with over the last two years, it's been coming from the Celtics from Celtics writers, from Boston area people. It's always been pushed by Boston. He's going to get all the way right to the goal line, and then he's going to decide to take a knee and just run out the clock? No, I don't think that that's the kind of guy that Danny Ainge is. And I think, you know, one of the conversations we've had about the Pelicans is uh, being on Drew's timetable and his age. If we look at it from Boston, they have to be on two people's timetables. Kyrie is, what, 27? AD is on AD is 26, but Al Horford's 32 and he's about to start making his decline though. He's been, his game does not rely on athleticism. He's still a 32 year old power forward slash center who's banged around a lot. So you're, you're on that timetable. And then Gordon Hayward is what? 26, 27 in that range, 28 years old. So if you have that team, you have a team that's built not like that big three they had before, which were basically three guys on that backside you get a core that's in its late 20s in general, and you could keep that team together. And Danny Ainge got, has five years maybe. Well, if you sign Kyrie to his extension, you get AD to sign his. you got five years of a, of a very strong team in the East. So, I mean, I think you're right. There is an impetus to move that now because two years, three years from now, things could be completely different uh, in that landscape, both in the NBA and in the East. And, and I, I don't think Danny Ainge wants to risk that. Now, I want to throw this out to you guys because I think this is this is a, a, a reach, but I kind of like it myself. And I know you all probably say no. But if the Pelicans could convince the Celtics to get Terry Rozier to buy in for his one year and have him as part of the deal, one year, three what, around $3 million, basically what they paid Alfred, um, for a guy who shoots 35% from three, doesn't turn the ball over, 
And as we've seen, Alvin Gentry's been able to do really well with guys who are up-tempo point guards who maybe aren't the greatest shooters in the world. Um, but I think he, uh, Rozier's a guy who can have that fixed. He has a basically good stroke. If he were part of the deal, and you maybe don't get one of these other guys, because I don't view Smart as a traditional point guard. I don't think, view him as a distributor. Um, I think Rozier, if you could get him and Smart maybe, and one of these other guys is out, I like having another option at point guard. What do you guys think of that? I think, Ali, you don't really like Rozier, do you? No, but we got to remember that Terry is a restricted free agent, and um, that, I think that's too problematic, right? Right. Right, it, it is. It's, it's a, I mean, I'm just saying it's a reach, but if he were to say, uh, I'm in and I'll go to New Orleans, because remember, he doesn't want Boston to match. He's already said that. Well, yeah, like, what if they just get him to sign a contract to trade him? You know, right? Like, because like, I don't think the your option of him getting what a three million uh, qualifying offer really works. Because I think he's going to be looking for a, a better payday. But if you have a contract in mind and you want him, no, you want him to be, uh, you know, at least your point guard for the immediate future. You know, say three years or so, uh, then that could possibly work. I'm, I think I'm higher on him as a player than Ali is, uh, but I'm not sure if I want to commit to him, especially before the draft, because like I think I'd rather see if I could get Kobe White or Darius Garland to build around. Yeah, but see, I mean, okay, let's say that he would agree to a sign trade. First of all, what would that deal look like? I mean, didn't he turn down an extension? with the Boston Celtics, um, which would have paid my forget, like 12, 13, 14 million a year. And he turned that down to stay with what at that time was a good situation and they were a winner. Now you're going to ask him to do a sign and trade. And then let's say he agrees to all that and he still maybe agrees to like something kind of reasonable, even though I completely doubt it. Then, But then he's going to want to be the man. And that's what scares me more than anything. He has a chucker's mentality. I can't look past that. I know who I want to have the ball next year in New Orleans, and that's going to be Zion, and if it's a deal with the Celtics, Tatum. And then Drew Holiday's going to find his, you know, the seams in the offense for where he's going to include himself. I don't know how Rozier would ever agree to being, you know, a fourth option on the team, so I'm 100% out on him. What do you I think, think I think he's going to be a Phoenix son. I mean, he's got Phoenix son written all over him, right? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. I see that. Oh, gosh, Monty's going to pull. He doesn't have any hair left, but he's going to pull out his goatee <laughs> if he has to coach Rozier. He would hate that so much. First of all, Rozier, no, I'm completely and totally out on Rozier. Yeah. I, I, you know, no. A couple flashes here and there aren't going to turn the tide for the vast majority of the games that you watch him play. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to Grubb's point on Marcus Smart, to me, I think Marcus Smart is the perfect kind of point guard because all you ask him to do is push the ball up the floor and then get the offense or the set started. Because even though Drew was off the ball a lot of, a lot of the time last year, he was averaging, what, near eight assists? I think he was in the top five in the NBA in assists per game. So point guard, Drew, I think, just really doesn't want to have to guide, be the guy that brings the ball up and calls the play. Once the play's in motion, I mean, everybody's going to touch the ball. We've seen how Gentry's offense really circulates things around. So Smart would be perfect for that because you can have him, hey, we got to get the ball up in the court. 
we got we want to get into the set as quickly as possible and then smart has by some miracle created for himself quite the good catch and shoot numbers at this point so you can put him off the ball once the offensive set is in motion and he his shot it still isn't terribly respected that's the one thing that we no. don't get when we just look at somebody's three-point number yes smart shooting i want to say it was like 35 36 percent this year last season the numbers yeah 36 percent last season 31 for his career probably, you dig into that and you're probably going to see that the vast majority of those are completely and totally wide open shots that were taken because the other team dared me to take it um but you know what if you punish teams enough like that it's still worth it but the thing that excites me is that a marcus smart drew holiday backcourt is terrifying defensively and i mean the one thing like one of the things we were saying is um tatum's girth his his ability to hold his ground the thing with tatum that you can do if you have marcus smart drew holiday you can slide him up i mean i remember this mm-hmm. was some time ago i remember watching marcus smart hold his own against paul Millsap on the post Mm-hmm. in a series against the Atlanta Hawks when the Atlanta Hawks won 60, however, I think it was 60 games with Budenholzer as the coach. Like Smart can defend one through four, even though he's only six foot three because he's an absolute bulldog and he loves it. So that's I, one of the things I love about that is that if you're rolling out Smart, Holiday, Tatum, Zion, I mean, you have the potential to have four plus defenders on the court and then i mean my favorite at that point is going to be christian wood at center but i mean here's here's my worry brooke lopez we got to get brooke lopez and tell something my (laughs) worry though with smart is he doesn't get to the rim he he shoots like less than two free throws a game for his career more than half his shots come from three-point range and he's like you said shooting 31 percent of his career so i don't know if last season is an anomaly or does he go back to the mean for his career next season, and he's not a threat at all from deep. And then he's a guy for his career, which minutes-wise is fine, and we've all talked that his his best role is probably as a sixth man because he started less than half the games he's played in his career. And so, and then for most of the, his, the four seasons prior to this, he only had one season where he played more than 70 games. So there's a durability concern, there's a starting concern, there's a ball handling concern, there's a shooting concern, so the only thing we're saying he's plus at is defending. So I'm a little concerned there for Marcus Martin. I don't value him as high as other people do. Hmm. Kevin? I love him, but, like, I agree with everything you just said. You know, like, I see how it could be perfect with him and Drew Holiday and how that creates such a huge advantage. And I love what David said about, you know, being able to shift Tatum up and then have smarter Holiday take on the tougher assignment. Um, it just gives you so much versatility defensively um and and so i i value him very highly but also i understand the concerns of him not being a true creator him not being so durable and also him being very limited offensively and how that can also create problems for you but also just look at his mentality and i think those intangibles and that mentality would also add a whole lot to this to this team and this locker room and to the culture they're trying to build So I do value him quite highly. Um, And I think at his contract numbers, 
you know, it's it's a fair trade off for the for the question marks you have about him. I mean, you're basically paying him Solomon Hill money, but he's definitely way more valuable to your team than that. Um, yes. You know, and and what he can do defensively, and just what he can provide in the locker room as well. But I just see, I just see him as a sixth man because I think if you play him, if you if you take Drew off the court, and then you have him Zion and whatever mix of guys, let's say Tatum and Drew are both off, and it's him Zion in the second unit. The guy, and we know this is going to change before the season starts. Somebody's got to run the offense, and somebody's got to penetrate and kick. Mm-hmm. And I, I just I have so many concerns about that. And and one of the things that we've said is that the Pelicans have to secure a point guard, which goes back to your point about trying to get a Kobe White or whatever. But if you're not getting that draft pick um, in that position, if you're not we're not making one of these top seven trades, and you're getting down in the 14s or something with a Boston pick, one of those guys is probably obviously not going to be available. So you're still going into the summer looking for a point guard, whether it's a young one or trying to acquire a veteran. And I don't know who that would be. So I don't smart to me. Just the one thing that I, the biggest concern for me is he does not solve the point guard problem. He is a, like, I I, I agree with you Mm -hmm. that as a role player, he brings a lot of value, but the point guard position is still a question mark. Yeah. This is where I'm going to, I'm going to argue you a little bit, David. I'm going to say, if you can get those four on a court together, Drew, Smart, Tatum, and Zion, the first year you probably were going to have some hiccups, but I could see those four in time uh, learning to go without a true, you know, number one. I think that is the goal of Alvin Gentry. I think that's the goal of modern NBA offenses. Look, I like kind of smart, even though their games aren't that comparable. I liken him to Andre Iguodala. As for you're so convinced he's a six man. I'm so convinced he's that much more. And, to, and I got to steal this quote from fish. We need an asshole. We, I want an asshole on this team, and I think Marcus Smart would be perfect for that. All right, we're going to have our first argument now because you're telling me that you think Marcus Smart is, his, is as good as peak Andre Iguodala? That's not what I said. See, I knew you, you, you didn't even hear what I said then. I said that I can see a comparison between the two as to how but they can – What's that? Iguodala's a reserve, right? So he doesn't start. And, Andre and Iguodala the- and the Golden State Warriors, I feel like, are at their best when he's starting and the death lineup starts. Pure he doesn't start though. He doesn't start because Steve Kerr doesn't want to wear that team down. You want to space out like their best players. Eight to ten minutes a game at the death lineup. They don't like playing the death lineup too long. It's a it's a separation lineup. It's not a game long lineup. They can't. But play my that but long. my thing is, I'm not arguing minutes. I'm arguing to be the best that you can be with uh, X amount, whatever the players that are being named here, right? So but what you say, Iguodala Iguodala does for Curry, Thompson, and Green is what I'm saying I could see Smart do for Holiday, Zion, and Tatum. That's what but I'm I, trying to say. Okay, so I'm, this is the last thing I'm going to say because I feel like I'm monopolizing and I feel bad for that. But for, you say point guard, but point guard is the deepest position in the NBA right now. Mm-hmm. And every single of those guys at the top are guys who can get to the rim, mm-hmm. guys who can finish, and guys who can create for other people. So I don't think that that's the move is that to go to guys who can't, I mean, the guys who not necessarily are drive guys. That, that seems to me that there are more and more point guys. I mean, part of the reason that Steph Curry is so effective is because he's one of the best finishers at the rim in the league. If he wasn't that, his game would be much different. So I, I, to me, that concern of not, and Drew is not a great finisher at the rim either. So at, in your backcourt, you've got two guys who don't get to the foul line a tremendous amount. 
You have two guys who have inconsistent jumpers. You have two guys. It's, I mean, it just seems like for if you're going to play those guys 30 plus minutes together, that's a hard thing to do, especially with smarts never played 30 minutes a game in his career. Oh, see, well, I was jumping ahead of myself. I was jumping ahead to how you would finish the rock, the, finish the game, which Marcus Smart would be on the court, kind of the same gotcha. way. And I wouldn't start him. But, like, jumping back to, like, our trade here that we're talking about, which would be Smart, mm-hmm. Tatum, um, Dabu or whatever. Um, or Williams 14th, or whatever, yeah. Yeah, the 14th pick and um, and – Hopefully, you also get in the swing in that Memphis future pick or, you know, one of their own future picks. You're looking at that. You would come into the free agency, the Pelicans, before you haven't, like, swapped off Solomon Hill. You haven't swapped off Eastwan Moore. The mm-hmm. team is approaching, like, $20 million in cap space. Now, you're not, like, throwing a max deal at somebody with that, but you could – throw you know a, a decent offer at somebody or you could take and we had talked about this before if you could get another pick or another something from boston and flip that with an asset or something toward denver which is always my ideal trade partner because denver right. already has their starting backcourt and monty morris is right there and you could say you're going to be my starter not necessarily the finisher i would think i, I for me, I would still finish with him, and I'd just slide Zion down to five and put Marcus Smart in there at the end of the game. But I think if, if you get the right stuff in this trade around that where you can either flip an asset or use your cap space to absorb maybe a kind of bad contract where some team is trying to squeeze in this other free agent and they'll flip you a young point guard that necessarily is not necessarily is their starter, but is a guy that can be your placeholder at point guard. Because again, if, if I have Tatum in this trade and I have, I I already know I have Zion Williamson and I have some other assets like Marcus smart, he's under contract for three more years, which means there's two years where he's still going to be a bargain and maybe he doesn't fit perfectly, but you flip him later would be um, an idea. Or if the Memphis pick ends up being the seven pick, and next year and you're not terribly enamored with somebody which i think you would be because when we're talking about the 2020 draft and i haven't dug a whole lot into it but the people who have who i've read say that the 2020 draft is number one significantly deeper than this draft and number two significantly deeper at point guard than this draft um that could be you don't have to you don't have to solve the point guard position long term this summer if you've solved something else, like you've got your alpha score and you finally have a starting small forward that belongs in the NBA on your roster in Jason Tate. So, so I guess the question then is more of role rather than, yeah. So if, if, if like you say, smart is then you, you have to find his role as, yeah, as a six man, I think it opens up the possibility that you, you and I think um, Griffin would still think that same way as we're, we're going to go look for a point guard. Kevin, what mm-hmm. do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, it's like the, what we said, like last season when they were like, okay, we have, we have um, Elver Payton and that's it. That's all we have to do. You know, I just don't, I don't think it's, we got Marcus smart and that's all we have to do. I think 
you know, you still need to get another guy to distribute, but it doesn't just as fish said, it doesn't have to be the long-term answer because you're setting yourself up with options to be able to acquire that long-term answer in the near future with draft capital, with cap space, with trades of assets to get what you want. Um, you can't, like he said, you can't answer everything in one off season, but nailing down a quality role player and a, and a star young player and also another star young player. If you throw, you know, you're considering Zion in there as well. Um, in one off season, you have to consider that a huge win, you know? So uh, especially is it be the best off season we've had it since we've had, this, you know, you haven't <laughs> yes. added together two two guys who could be faces of the franchise to pair with a guy already ready to be a face of a franchise and then have such a significant role player plus draft capital in the next few drafts. I mean, and cap space, you know, as Etwan Moore and Solomon Hill clear off the books. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a great situation to be in. So, so ideally, out of these two guys, out of Tatum and Smart, which we would say are the cornerstones of any deal, you're getting Tatum, you're getting your, your primary score. And out of Smart, I think rather than Ali, so we're not arguing, rather than Andre Iguodala, what you're getting back is probably closer to prime Tony Allen, which is not a bad thing to have. Because shooting-wise, they're both – Tony Allen was better from two, Smart slightly better from three, Smart slightly better passer, you know, um, but Tony Allen was a little longer. So, I mean, I think you're getting – you're hoping that Smart is prime Tony Allen for you. I would say he's more <laughs> like if you if you took the average of, of Patrick Beverly and Andre Iguodala, you would get Marcus Smart. Yes, that. thank you. That's a good yeah, one. If you added I like those that two one. guys together and divided them in half, that's what you would get. Yeah, because I don't see him as Tony Allen. But, yeah, I like that one. He, he's, he's a blend of the two. I agree with that. Y'all, you're, offline, y'all going to have to help me with the Iguodala because okay. I don't see the Iguodala. Hey, <laughs> offline, you guys. Hey, have guys, to I know we've been that. talking for a while, but one thing I, I think we really have to mention, I, it just occurred to me, is none of our deals included Jalen Brown. And so we, we, we got to talk about him a little bit and how much maybe Griffin needs to chase him in addition to Tatum or is it workable at all? Well, okay, we've already discussed it's not workable without Tatum, but let's just say – should he pursue Brown just as much, if not more, than Smart? So whoever wants to go first, we got to talk about Brown a little bit, though. Well, Brown's money makes it hard. That's the thing. It's like if you if you bring in his money instead of Smart, then that means more people have to get involved. Well, no, you're essentially then waiting. I think what thirty days after you can um, make their what is it, David? Make the, the salaries from the draft work, right? No, their, their, their draft, draft picks are so yeah. cheap. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, if you're shooting for the moon, right? If you're shooting for the moon, so you're not going to, the offer that Griffin isn't going to start out with is an offer that he thinks he's going to ask for everything on the front. And if he's yes. asking for everything, he should be asking for Smart, Tatum, and Brown, which would be superb setting up the team for the future. Now, we're we're all talking about what we think Boston would actually accept. So right. we're lopping Brown off. But the other thing with Jalen Brown that you have to consider is the fact that next summer he's extension eligible. Um, next summer, mm-hmm. he's a, I mean, this summer he's extension eligible. Next summer he's a restricted free agent. It's time to pay him. It's time to pay him soon. And it might cost you a lot because just because of the position, his size, his 
his desirability in the marketplace. He's a wing that can defend and he can space the floor a little bit, not nearly as much as Tatum does, but he can defend. He's he's the prototype kind of guy that a team is going to want. Those six six to six foot eight guys that can actually play both ends are what everybody wants, and that's going to drive up his price. So <clears throat> I would love to have him, especially if he says he's going to stay, but I, 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 I think we have all kind of surmised that if we're saying that Tatum is a must, then we're going to have to say no to Brown in the end from, from Boston's side to be able to accept it. For me, I think, yeah, if you're not moving Hayward, if the Celtics aren't moving Gordon Hayward, they need to have some cheap players left on that roster. And right now, Jalen Brown is a cheap player. He, Like you said, he won't be very soon, but at the moment he is. And that's one of the reasons I was trying to move Hayward to the Pacers. Um, but let me ask you this, to go back to sort of uh, – adapting my trade a little bit what if instead of Hayward coming over and forget about the pick that goes to him the Pacers got Brown and we got Turner and that deal would you see that as a feasible move or do you think that's Celtics still paying too much and then you know we keep smart they would just get Brown and we get Turner or the Celtics keep I don't smart. think Indi- I don't think Indiana makes that deal yeah you don't think and then another thing I have questions with is too is in terms of Brown and Tatum, do they need to be separated to really flourish? Will they flourish together? Or is that just, is it better for it, each of their careers if they are separated and become what they are on another team? If you're Boston and you give up Tatum and Smart, I don't see how you can not fight to keep Brown. That just, that would just be. I don't see how you you have to have somebody else on that wing in case Hayward doesn't take that leap back, and he's an experienced guy. He you trust him. You know what he can do. So I, I don't see why Boston. Like I said to me, the three things you got to walk away with is Tatum, Smart, and you got to get that Memphis pick. Because mm-hmm. that of the three, I think you know out of all the picks that Boston has, the Memphis pick is clearly the most attractive. But I, I just think they're going to fight hard to keep Brown. They'll, if they got to give up Tatum, I, I just don't see them wanting to give up Brown. Would um, you rather have Smart or Miles Turner? Oh, I'd rather Miles Turner. Turner. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, you definitely, I think, have to take Tate, or <laughs> Miles Turner, excuse me. Yeah. All right, so I think we've – have we covered this from every angle, guys? Is there is there anything that we possibly left out here? <laughs> this has been our longest one, and I think probably that's due to the fact that this has been about Boston. Um, you know, again, so many potential moving parts, more players, um, um, even more talent um, available than what the Lakers have to offer, and guys who aren't injured. So um, and it's probably Boston, the most likely one, right? I mean, you guys think that this is the most likely trade to happen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's 80%, but I would say it's, you know, 75, three, 75% chance. What do you got? Yeah, I've got to mention, I mean, David, we, we've talked to Alvin about it. He's really a big fan of Marcus Smart, too. So you've got to he think is. that he would probably, you know, fight for him almost as much as getting Tatum back. And if Ainge is not willing to also add Brown, I think that's yet another 
you know, reason to basically just look at a package center around Tatum and Smart and exclude Brown. But I still think that Griff's going to try and go after Brown. I mean, this guy flashes so much athleticism, and 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 by far and away, he's the most tantalizing, right? Because he's such a high riser. He's another guy that you know, as we're we're worried about Tatum guarding, you know, especially being versatile defensively. Brown doesn't have any issues about that whatsoever. So Brown has his positives too. Uh, that's why I kind of wanted to talk to him, but I guess I guess we've done enough. Yeah, I, I just don't think Brown, the only thing the difference, the biggest difference between me between Brown and Tatum is again the outside shot. But also, I don't know if if um, Brown has that has that um, mentality to be the guy on the perimeter. And, no, and but so that, I mean, would, you want yeah. great great role players, right? And I think that's no, what you Taylor want him. Like I'm saying, you want him. You'd love to have him. But I mean, if if they say ultimately you're getting Tatum smart. And that 2020 pick, you're not going to cry about that. You, 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 I mean, you know, whatever else the combination is, if you get those three core pieces, again, I think that's a win for the Pelicans. Yeah, I agree. So with I that. have a question for you guys because um, Grub kind of hit this a little bit. Would you favor the Celtics right now over all other destinations? So the Celtics over the field as an Anthony Davis destination? Probable, not like desirable, but probable. Oh, probable. I say the Celtics are the most probable. Yeah, I don't think that's changed. I think they've been a leader in the clubhouse, you know, ever since we started discussing AD trades, right? That's how I feel. So if we were ranking the top three, then my guess, and and you guys each chime in, I'd say Boston one, Clippers two, Knicks three. Ollie? I'm throwing in Brooklyn somewhere. It's definitely Boston one. I don't care whether Brooklyn gets two or three. Lakers can get into two or three if they could make another team join in. Um, but if not, then I guess I would go with Clippers over the Knicks. I just can't see Griffin and everything that we've heard opt to go with the Knicks, especially now that we know they got the number three pick. The Knicks have, to, like we said, teams like the Knicks and Lakers have to make moves. Um, Kevin, what, how would you rank your top three? Yeah, in probability, I say it's Celtics, uh, Clippers, and uh, Lakers. Because I think them getting that fourth pick and then being able to possibly flip Lonzo to get another one really put them back high in the picture. And what about you, Fish? I would go Celtics first, well ahead of the rest of the pack. And then after them, I would actually have the Lakers because I think their desperation and their ability to throw everything in the kitchen sink, not necessarily at the Pelicans, but to other teams, can, can craft the kind of deal that Griffin can accept, especially with the fourth pick that they can throw into that as well. And then for my third team, um, I'm, not, I'm not as high on the probability. Like, I love the possibility of the Clippers but I'm not as high on the probability of the Clippers because I don't think that they're going to have that kind of desperation. My third team would actually be Brooklyn. And um, the key to that, honestly, would be making swinging that as a sign-in trade with um, D'Angelo Russell coming here. And Fish, where I differ with you, I think the deal would be centered around LeVert and not D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. I I'm just don't see how Kyrie... Yeah. I was just going to say I'm with... Uh, with uh, Ali on the Brooklyn thing, I think it would be Levert over Russell just because of, like, it's just too 
too risky for them to approach D'Angelo Russell with that and then that fall apart and then that becomes, you know, a whole soap opera when they built this great chemistry and culture over there last season. Because to me, the weirdest part, the, the most difficult thing for Brooklyn is they're targeting both KD and Kyrie. I don't know if they want the both of them, though. But if you get Kyrie, I don't see how Kyrie and D'Lo work together. I don't get that at all. I've read some stuff out of Brooklyn this week, though, that said that they, they're they confident that D'Lo and Kyrie can play together. How? Who's going to – <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I agree. So- <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> – well, since those reports just, came I, out, you also have to follow that with the fact that the Nets have hired two different assistant GMs, one from the Hawks and one from the Spurs. Right. So I think they're trying to rectify whoever thought that that was a good idea. Because yeah, I, I just don't see how that works out for Brooklyn. Because that's two guys who are just dribbling, 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 dribbling. And <laughs> I don't know how you ever get the ball to anybody else. I mean, it seems like it would be most advantageous for the Pelicans, if you want to make a deal with Brooklyn, for Durant to go sign with with Brooklyn, and then you have, then you can get the Levert, you can get the, um, you get your center out of the deal, and, and you can, yeah, and you can get Dinwiddie back. So you get you get a point guard, you get a you get Jared Allen, and you get Karis Levert, and I think that that so if Durant goes to Brooklyn, I think that pushes Brooklyn up rather than Kyrie. What do you guys think about that, real quick? No, I, I agree with that, too. All right, so we have promised, folks, that we are going to continue this. Um, so the next one we do, and we'll have to schedule that one, some wild card teams, and we're going to be covering Phoenix, Philly, Atlanta, and Sacramento, and that'll be coming up in the next couple of days. And then, of course, as we get closer, we'll start talking about draft picks, and then once the draft is over, we'll start looking at free agency and things like that. So we will be around all summer long doing these. Um, but this finishes the the initial six, guys. How do you think we've done so far? You, you, you're happy with what we've put out? Yeah. Um, you're the boss. I love it. I think we've touched on a lot of different scenarios, included some far-fetched ones, some likely ones, thrown in our personal tidbits on how to change certain deals, how we value these players. I think we've covered a lot of the bases. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, think, I think so, too. I think we looked at a lot of fit of different players. Um, you know, like I know that the trade I threw out today was a little bit of a stretch, but I figured everybody was coming in with basically the same trade, so I wanted to shake it up a little bit um, and look at other options. But, you know, and also talk about how possibly a guy like Miles Turner, even if he's not part of an Anthony Davis trade, will maybe be part of an idea moving forward because I think, like, he's, a you know, a a really good piece to put in there to plug in there next to Zion and whatever else the roster looks like because of his ability. And because the Pacers have to make a decision in that front court, because those two guys aren't so compatible and they still have to make a decision on that young. Um, so it might be a guy they're looking to move. So I think we've also introduced some players that could may not possibly be part of the Anthony Davis trade to begin with, but could possibly be, trades down the line, you know, other acquisitions that would uh, fit this roster. So I think we've done a good job of all those things. Any last words as we close out this first part of this uh, day? Dave? Fish? <laughs> oh, I'm there? sorry. I, I, 
I, I couldn't hear my name. I couldn't hear who you were throwing that question to. Um, yeah, it's been, it, it, it to me, it's been a, a lot of fun doing this. I hope that our listeners have had a lot of fun, um, that it's been um, interesting to them. Maybe it's opened their mind to some other possibilities. Um, it's certainly opened my mind to some possibilities, especially earlier on in the series when we talked specifically about Brooklyn and Denver. Um, and to hear you guys explain how, you know, the rationalization behind it has been a lot of fun for me. And I, I hope that everyone listening has enjoyed it and looks forward to um, these wild cards that we're going to cover next. Yeah, and I think just to put a bow on this, no matter what trade gets made for Anthony Davis, the one thing I think we can all um, agree on is that David Griffin won't be done by a country mile and making moves to reshape this roster um, over the summer as we get ready for the 2019-2020 season. So thank you for listening. If Again, if you've missed any of these episodes, go back and check them out on the Bird Call. You can get it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Rate us, share us, um, tweet us, whatever you do. And uh, until the next time, let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to the Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under podcast networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So, about the kitchen. Turns out when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So, about the kitchen. Turns out when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.